Hey, it's the Jeff Fidoff Show. I'm Tito Jeff Fidoff. Thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate that. Um, find me on Twitter at Fit Happens. Would love to hear from you. Give me a follow. I'll follow you back. Uh, one of the things I complained about when I first started doing this, and I've complained about it for years actually, is the setting of the, the timing of the Super Bowl and how they always they don't have it on a Saturday, Sunday. They can have it on a Saturday, so we can all have the day off work, or most of us at least the next day. Um, bars would probably appreciate it more. Uh, if they do it on a Saturday, you can start it later if they want to. You can start it in prime time, 8 o'clock if they wanted to. Um, but because I hate the idea of having to be up until uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock for all of America, Eastern time, I should say. It obviously doesn't matter as much uh, on the West Coast. But And then um, having to go to work the next day. The day after the Super Bowl should be a national holiday. And they can do that. Start the regular season one week later. And then the Super Bowl will fall on President's, President's Day weekend. So where a lot of people are off uh, or can take holidays, at least on the Monday next week, um, the day after President, the day um, the 22nd, I believe it is this year, whatever, is going to be uh, President's Day, the 21st, maybe it is. But anyway, the, the day before President's Day, play the Super Bowl in. So you extend everything out one week, do it that way. And now I will get off my soapbox about the Super Bowl. It should be played on Saturday or played on a day before most Americans don't have to go to work. All right, NFL coaching news. Doug Peterson uh, headed to Jacksonville uh, to replace the debacle that was the Urban Meyer short-lived era. Uh, according to ESPN Stats and Info, it's the fourth time that a team has hired a Super Bowl-winning coach after having or tying for the worst record in the NFL in the previous season. Bill Parcells did it twice, once with the Patriots, once with the Jets. Um, and Hank Stram, uh, a few old guys, did it with uh, New Orleans. He coached the Chiefs to a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl win. Um, the good hire for Jacksonville, I think, is probably good for Trevor Lawrence. We saw what Doug Peterson was able to do with Carson Wentz, um, at least temporarily. So you would think that'd be a good hire for them. Uh, it's smart to get a, some stability in there with a recently successful head coach, although Peterson certainly uh, struggled at the end of his tenure uh, at Philadelphia. He has led them to a, a Super Bowl win, so uh, led Philadelphia there. So that's a good sign for Jacksonville. I expect a much better outcome than what happened in that Urban Meyer. It couldn't get much worse. Uh, other news, Kevin O'Connell uh, can't start yet. He's the offensive coordinator for the Rams, but he's headed to the Vikings. Mike McDaniel, offensive coordinator for San Francisco before, now the head coach for the Dolphins. Lovey Smith, formerly of the Bears and the University of Illinois coaching staff, um, headed to, or is going to be a head coach for Houston. Dennis Allen gets promoted from the Saints, defensive coordinator to head coach there. Um, so uh, the big news there, uh, Mike McDaniel, I guess, is, uh, a mixed race and Lovey Smith is an African-American coach. So they both uh, fall under the umbrella of minority hires. So uh, at least there's a little more focus on that. The whole, there's talk about the, you know, Roger Goodell's going to examine the Rooney rule and see if it needs to even stay in place. I've never liked the Rooney rule, by the way, I'm saying this to you knowing I'm a white male. Okay. So what my point is though, I, I think the Rooney rule where the air was, I think the intention was fine with it where you have to interview two minority candidates for every, when you have a position like a head coaching job open up. Uh, the problem is sometimes I think there is a bit of a sham going on because if a team already knows they're going to hire this coach from within who might be a, a, a white guy, um, or they know they've already got their eye on, they're, they're, they see a successful guy outside who's been let go from a team, like say Doug Peterson uh, from before, or um, you know, like uh, the Jim Harbaugh situation with Michigan. If they see somebody who they want, then they're going to hire or going to interview minorities maybe just with already their mind made up, which isn't really fair to anybody they hire, be them uh, of color or a white individual. If they've already made their mind up, it makes little sense to 
um, hire to go out and waste people's time with an interview where you're never going to hire the person that you're going to interview anyway. So um, I think probably getting rid of the Rooney rule is going to be a good idea uh, and find other ways to just encourage and, and require um, candidates to be considered from all races and not necessarily force it from the standpoint you have to interview X amount, but through continued educa- education of um, people and uh, more uh, carefully vetting uh, uh, the vetting process when it comes to bringing on ownership owners um, to make sure that you're not hiring a uh, uh, somebody who's never going to hire somebody of color, if that makes sense. So um, by speaking of Jim Harbaugh, he went and interviewed with the Vikings and um, interviewed with them on signing day in college football, which was a bit odd to me. And um, he told that he ended up not getting the job, was not offered the job, goes back and tells uh, Ward Manuel, the AD for Michigan, that this was a one-time thing for him and that he will never interview for an NFL job again, uh, which is what he had to say. But still, there's nothing in in stone. I mean, he didn't sign a contract uh, promising they'll never interview. If somebody else comes up, he could say, you know what, I am going to go interview for that job. If somebody else, or somebody might want to hire him without interviewing him, you know, uh, he might be able to go uh, go around that process. If someone reaches out to his agent, hey, we know Jim Harbaugh, we like Jim Harbaugh, we wanted to be our head coach. Harbaugh then could go to that team and really technically not interview for it if they already know who he is and whatnot. But um, Harbaugh had to say this. It was first of all, it's a bad look for Michigan that. He um uh, that he went and interviewed on signing day, and I think part of it is because Harbaugh is doing kind of an fu to Michigan after what they did to him last year by forcing him to re- uh, restructure his contract and um, make him take a pay cut, um, which is not what a coach is usually do at a big time program. Either you're successful and you stay on and you keep making more money, or you're not successful and because they're a big time program. They can go out and get somebody else equal or better than you, and they fire you or you resign, whatever it may be. So. It was a bit un, uh, unconventional last year when Michigan did that with Jim Harbaugh. I think this is Harbaugh's way of getting back at them, saying, you know, he had a, his first time beating Ohio State, getting the college football playoff, the most successful year Michigan's had in a long time, and certainly the most sexful, successful under Harbaugh. And he took that opportunity to go interview elsewhere and kind of flex his muscles a little bit. Didn't get offered the job. I think he thought he would have gotten offered the job, and he probably would have taken it. And now he kind of goes back to Michigan with his tail between his legs and has to try to – um, regain credibility within that uh, organization. And he's lost so he had his best year ever, right? Loses the defensive coordinator. He goes to Baltimore uh, to work for the Ravens and um, uh, Jim's brother, John. And then also offensive coordinator, Jim Gaddis, he goes to Miami to be the offensive coordinator there after Michigan's offense completely destroyed people this year, including Ohio State. And now he loses his offensive coordinator to Miami. And on the way out the door, Gaddis says something to the effect of, um, you know, you should not ever be somewhere where you're not wanted. So now Michigan loses both coordinators, uh, both by their doing. It wasn't because they were let go, and it wasn't a promotion for Gaddis to go to Miami of Florida. I mean, Miami is not on the same level as Michigan right now. Miami's been in a downward spiral for quite some time. So uh, these are big positions for Harbaugh to have to fill coming off his best season. And, um, Michigan, look, they, they hired Vanderbilt's defensive coordinator. I know Vanderbilt didn't have much success uh, on defense the last few years under this guy, but it you can't really hold that against him because he's now coaching a different level of athlete and a different type of athlete. And who knows, they, they maybe he'll, they'll respond better to him than people did at Vanderbilt. But um, it, nonetheless, it's, it's interesting uh, to see this kind of upheaval at Michigan. That's the choice of the coaches going out. 
Look at a situation like Ohio State where the changes they made were – the one was a clear promotion, um, uh, but the other ones they made were because they said, this isn't working, we're going to bring in new people. They were Ohio State forced some of those guys out. They forced the majority of them out, um, whereas Michigan's were jumps and not pushes, which is a big difference, I think, when you look at where these programs are and where they're headed. All right, um, let's talk about uh, – I want to talk about the Pro Bowl real quick. That was on uh, – that was last uh, last weekend, the NFL Pro Bowl, and it's a joke. They should stop doing it. As a matter of fact, all All-Star games, uh, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL should all just go. We should get rid of all. The NHL one's not – it's probably the best of the bunch, um, but, like, none of these are anywhere near what real games look like. Baseball, I guess, would be, but the allure of – the allure of baseball used to be, and this started, the, the All-Star Game started back in 1933 at Comiskey Park. Arch Ward did it um, as a way to uh, uh, to raise money for charity and to get the American League of National League All-Stars who only ever met like in spring training or exhibition games or the World Series, and that was it. So you had a chance to see some of these guys play against each other that you never got to see and may never see. And it was great all the way through the, uh, the 70s even, before interleague play started, you know, that was one of the rare times you could see uh, Nolan Ryan uh, face off with Mike Schmidt or Tom Seaver against Reggie Jackson. These All these great matchups you could – and plus ba- baseball wasn't on TV for you could not watch, you know, all these different teams play all this time. So seeing them in, on TV anyway was a treat in and of itself. Um, so and it used to mean something. It really used to be important to see it because it was the only time you saw some of these stars play against each other. Now with the um, with cable TV and satellite and uh, Major League Baseball, uh, the, the ticket we can watch all the games and um, you know the fact that uh, there's highlights all the time. There's the the internet, all these things you can do to watch anybody you want to watch at any given time. And with interleague play, players face off. With the way free agency goes and players tra- changing teams all the time. It's not such a novelty anymore to see some stud pitcher from the American League play some play against some stud hitter in the National League and so on. So the game really has just it doesn't mean anything like it used to. NBA, you know, they used to really play to win. They they don't really play defense. Like go watch some of the old games from the 70s and the late 70s, all the way through like the late 80s. Guys really tried to win. And it was a big deal then. Guys don't play defense now. It's a party is what it is. Uh, in the Pro Bowl, no one hits anybody. It, Pro Bowl used to be uh, used to mean a lot when the winning team, uh, each player got a certain amount of money that was closer, or at least a, a smaller, a decent percentage of what their annual salary might be. So they really went out there to win. There's a sense of pride in that, and plus the fact they can get thirty thousand dollars when they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, or one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. They get thirty thousand dollars for a win, whatever it was, and it really meant something to them because it was. Um, it, it enhanced their life making that kind of money. Now, with the money people make, and plus the fact there's the, the threat for injuries in any of these games, that's what makes it so hard. I, I would hate to see a player in a baseball game get beamed or have some kind of catastrophic injury. Same thing with football or basketball. You hate seeing guys, which is the same reason like the bowl games I talked about before with college football. It just It's not worth the risk anymore because of how much money they make either playing the game and endorsements after that. It's just, it's really, it's not worth these things anymore to do it. I don't like having bonuses tied into uh, playing in the Pro Bowl or All-Star Games because so much of it is fan-driven and popularity contests. And you'll see guys, um, nothing is Andrew Wiggins for the Golden State Warriors. He's announced as a starter in the All-Star Game. Uh, Doesn't really, probably doesn't deserve it. 
having a good year, but there's players having better years that deserve it over him. So um, it's uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's um, it's something I don't the all star games. I don't need to watch them, you know, in in uh, in NBA or Major League Baseball, NHL. If you want to do something, um, you know, you can have your all pro teams or all star teams at the end of the year. But just keep playing the season or have a break in the season if you want to give the players a break. There's no sense in playing these all-star games. So it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Okay, um, one more thing I want to get to today before I wrap it up. And the big trade between Philadelphia and the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA, James Harden heads over to Philly. Uh, Brooklyn gets um, Ben Simmons uh, and a couple other pieces as well. And uh, just so you know, James Harden this year played 44 games with Brooklyn. He played in 44 games with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at the time of the trade had combined to play 48 games this season for Brooklyn. So we didn't get a good real a real good look at um, Brooklyn as far as at full strength. Now, this doesn't these this trade does not vault either team you know considerably higher in the um, rankings as far as best teams in the NBA chances to make it to the finals. And the reason I say that, I want you to look at the best teams in the NBA this season. And they have two things that um, that the Lakers haven't had for sure, and also that uh, Brooklyn has not had for sure, and that's chemistry and availability. And those are the keys. And, and Phoenix has a veteran leader, a point guard, Chris Paul. They've got eight players averaging in double figures in Phoenix. And they have a superstar in Devin Booker, which is also great to have. But every player there knows their role and embraces their role. Uh, Golden State has players they can rely on and uh, each other night in and night out. They have chemistry and they know they can rely on Steph Curry and uh, and Clay Thompson. And you know when guys get hurt like you know Draymond Green, other guys can step in. They all know their roles and they accept it and there's that chemistry there. Uh, they also have a veteran coach they can respond to and, and, and just accord those veterans their leaders. Uh, Miami's got Jimmy Butler. They've got a coach in front office they can rely on. They know the hierarchy there. Uh, same for Milwaukee with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, he's a true leader and a reliable force for that team. Brooklyn doesn't have that. Now, Ben Simmons is a great fit for this team uh, because he defends every position really well and doesn't demand the ball. But he's going to need time to mesh with Kyrie and Durant. Now, it shouldn't be hard for Simmons because of his role. Uh, lockdown defender, can move the ball, and doesn't require a lot of shots, if any. But you can't be a championship team by uh, by telling the guys, hey, it's a road game. Uh, one of our best players won't be here. So really focus on scoring tonight, plan on playing a lot of minutes. But by the way, we home tomorrow night for our home game. Uh, you'll be a role player again and probably get less than half minutes you got tonight. And that's what they have to do in Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving right now because he can't play in the state of New York. So he can't play home games, and he can't play when Brooklyn is in a road game against the Knicks. So until something like that changes, it's going to be very difficult for Brooklyn to develop chemistry and uh, with Durant out now and Kyrie can't play road games, um, it's or can't play you know home games, I'm sorry, and also against the Knicks, he can play road games. But until unless something changes with Irving's vaccination status or the health policies in the state of New York, it's going to be tough for Brooklyn to compete for a title. On any given night, sure, if Durant, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, they're healthy and all that, on any given night, that talent can win out. But when you have to play Miami, Milwaukee, teams like that, and even maybe Philly, we'll talk about that in a second, it's not that easy. Philadelphia, we need to see how Embiid and Harden coexist. Harden hasn't always been the best at coexisting with superstars. Uh, I know when, when he played in Oklahoma City with um, Westbrook and Durant, and they went to the finals the, the one year, uh, he played well then, but he was 
he was a bench player. He came off the bench and played a lot in the second unit. Um, he wasn't the main uh, ball handler, main the main guy. Now, he and Embiid, we'll see how it works though with them. Uh, Harden couldn't coexist with Russell Westbrook. Um, you know, Dwight Howard, guys like that. He had, he didn't, it wasn't a, where both people, both people thrived in those situations. So we'll see if he can do it in Philly, um, with the, with the Joel and Beans, how that works out. All right. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm at that happens on Twitter. Uh, tomorrow I'll do my Super Bowl preview. And also want to tell you tomorrow why the Cleveland Browns are in dangerous territory and on the verge of slipping back to the Browns of old, uh, meaning the ones that we have known since they returned to the NFL. That's it for the Jeff Goodoff Show. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.